second. Honey, honey, there's a hot topic. Oh, God damn it. Pull, pull the fucking car over. I got to buy some fucking drip pants. <laughs> We're right back at it again. This is the March and Mitch Show with CSP. Thank you so much again for joining us all here. We're very excited to be hanging out today talking about your favorite music, media, social commentary, books, literature, movies, throwback cinema. It's very entertaining to have you all here again. I'm joined today by one of my favorite peoples. We got Mitchell Herring on the ones and twos. Give it up for Mitchell. Hey. It's me. We're back. Gotchas. And also, I thought that was you. Ha, ha. You may have been fooled by my outward appearance, but no, tis I, <laughs> the one and only on the ones and twos, as Marchewski would all frequently say. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, and if I don't see you later, good night. Buenas noches. On all that jazz, let's give it up to a Buenos Dias over here. We have CSP. CSP, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Pretty tired, but pretty good. Yeah, we're back from a long camping trip. Yeah, oh, we, yes. we all are recovering currently. Mitchell has a killer sunburn. Yeah. Hey, oh, yeah. You got some color, bro. <laughs> bro, you did get some color, actually. It's Both fine. of y'all's got some color, actually. My new indie album dropping uh, in September, Killer Sunburn. <laughs> you can check it on uh, SoundCloud. It'll be uh, produced. Uh, I hate that that does sound like some shit that I would listen to. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what we'll be doing. Uh, today we got some cool topics. We got Marchewski uh, coming in hard with our artist of the week, which is... We're going to talk to you about Grey Days, which may be uh, uh, not as new of a project as you might have think. This is the posthumous uh, record from uh, late Linkin Park, Stone Temple pilot singer Chester Bennington. We're also going to send it over to CSP today as we talk about um, how the original uh, American women's suffrage movement has parallels with today's Black Lives uh, Matter movement. We're going to talk to you about different commentary and points of interest with CSP. And then finally, before we head it over to uh, Marchewski's Brewski, we are going to talk to you about the throwback cinema nostalgia trip with Mitchell Herring, which is going to be... What is it this week, partner? Spirited Away. Hey, most definitely. Spirit Away is going to be our first Miyazaki film on our throwback cinema nostalgia trip, flip it, grip it, or rip it. I hope you guys brought your A-game because here at the March and Mid Show at CSP, we're about to go freaking take you to cloud nine. Let's get the ball rolling and get those blazes burning. Wunderbar. Excellent. Get the burner started. And now that we got the oven rolling, we're going to take out this nice little bond of music uh, trivia. Before Chester Bennington was in Lincoln Park, he was in a group called Grey Days. This this group actually goes back well, a long time. Park. So this group actually is pre-Lincoln Park, and we have been listening to this. Um, I had first hopped on upon a Grey Days buddies who is a roommate and tenant at his place. It showed me like... I'm like, bro, like, what have you been bopping in the music world? Like, what have you been listening to as of late? He's like, oh, I've been checking this shit out. Like, and I'm like, he was listening to it. And I'm like, bro, this sounds just like freaking Chester Bennington. And he's like, well, dude, it's because it is Chester Bennington. <laughs> and we figured it out. Mind and freak. Literally. And by proxy, we found out that Great A's uh, originally was uh, just a project that, you know, Spencer was cutting his teeth in from 1993 to 1998, apparently. Hmm. That was his first proper band, even before Mike Shinoda and Linkin Park. Uh, and that's why Great A's. no idea. It's crazy, huh? Yes. Yeah, so that's why Great A's and Linkin Park is going to be our artist of the week. <laughs> 
Artist of the Week. We're going to be talking about Chester Bennington. Uh, the perennial artist is known for screaming and yelling at all kinds of uh, obscenities, whether they be at his own demons or at his own friends and family through the guise of Linkin Park. Linkin Park's music would be lighting up the charts for decades uh, from as early as I remember being a young lad, being super jealous that literally... Uh, everyone in my every boy in my fifth grade class got to go see Lincoln Park at the uh, what do you call the stadium? A stadium I used to go grow up in uh, back in Vegas <laughs> was freaking Sam Boy Stadium, Sam Boy Stadium, and then also the much more popular uh, group over by UNLV. They would have you know everything from wrestling and stuff. Mitchell, were you into like wrestling growing up? Like all those stuff, like 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 that stuff. <laughs> you mean like with the Rock and shit? Yeah, like Dwayne the Doc Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. I always thought. Uh, I was always under the impression that it was fake. Apparently, I was wrong. So, I mean, I missed out on a lot of good stuff growing up. You know. No, it is fake. No, no I mean, yeah. apparently it's completely real. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking of MMA? No, here's the joke. Here's you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> the world's greatest soap opera. Yeah. yeah. That's the first, that was one of the first times I ever think I heard Lincoln Park was watching like a, a big wrestling like WW, WCW event and like here in Lincoln Park back in the day. So it was crazy to see how their music's progressed and how they've all evolved uh, not only as people, but as musicians, I can't believe that Mike Shinoda would later go on to become uh, a big hit with his his uh, his group Fort Minor producing tracks that would mm. be really big in the hip hop scene. And I can't believe how many times they've been sampled like over and over and over again. Yeah, uh, they're super popular. They were my first uh, real concert, actually, Lincoln Park. Fuck yeah, man. It's actually two of us. Yours too. Mm -hmm. Yep, my we first concert ever. That. Yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah. Before we dig into our artist of the week, I just want to go around the horn and talk about uh, may he rest in peace, rest in peace, Chester, and God bless his family. Uh, all of our favorite Lincoln Park memories. I know I shared a bit. Let's take it over to CSP and then Mitchell. Uh, Celine, what was your favorite like Chester or like Lincoln Park memory from years past? I think. My, I gotta say, because I've, I've talked about how the the show was my my first concert ever, and you know all of my goofiness as a little kid that couldn't handle loud noises, and that corn was too aggressive for me, and my dad made <laughs> me stay, um, and then piece, loved yeah. it. Um, I think that probably my my favorite silly Chester memory was uh, when I was I believe twelve. And my favorite cousin was 10, revised for a little while because I got really into these like, quote, personality quizzes that were like, <laughs> you know, like what would happen if you met Chester Bennington? But I got really into this core porn oh, about like with all these scenarios where you're like Chester Bennington's super goth girlfriend and like you get into all of these like crazy, not age appropriate at all scenarios. And my grandma came in and was like, what are you doing? And apparently I turned bright red. and So that was one of my uh, first embarrassing forays into youth sexuality was <laughs> just lusting after Ch Chester Bennington to the point that I wasn't allowed to go on Google anymore. Um, but yeah, no, Chester has been super formative. Like Linkin Park was the first music that I really, really listened to. And, you know, when, when he passed a couple of years back, I was kind of surprised by how hard it hit me. Like I was thoroughly grieving for a bit there. It was... It really made it sink in how much they meant to me at such a formative time in my life. Gotcha. The artist of the week is going to be Great A's. This is Chester Bennington's posthumous project, but also very much a before Linking Park project. Great A's song sometimes is going to be our song of the week with artist of the week. And we'll get back to tell you more about Chester and Linking Park and Great A's. Thank you for joining us this week. 
Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. As always, audibletrial.com forward slash March. We got some Audible audio books. It's a thing. It's not a verb, but it is something you can do. We appreciate your listening. Uh, download anything that you like. At this point, it doesn't really matter. We've got ourselves a wonderful selection. Uh, still, big fan. The Alchemist. Nora Roberts, The Obsession. Andy Weir's The Martian. Robert Monroe, Jafar Journeys, some of the best. If you can't tell, my selection's limited, but I re-listened to them quite a bit. Pick it up, audibletrial.com forward slash March. Audible. And that was Sometimes by Great A's. Before Chester Bennington was the awesome, screaming, yelling, angry guy fronting Lincoln Park. He was in this project um, several years between 2013 and 2015. Chester Bennington decided to reignite this project to find uh, ways to keep himself busy uh, while also becoming the uh, part-time frontman for Stone Temple Pilots, which is crazy after the death of Scott Wayland. Uh, one of my favorite. What? Uh, yeah, I know we talked. I know we talked about this, but like, so Stone Temple Pilot, there they did that that really popular. There was a song that was on MTV at <laughs> two in the morning. They every, had a couple really popular every night. Ones. Yeah, every every from midnight to two a.m. You were guaranteed at least one or two Stone Temple Pilot STP songs. More than likely. every night. More than likely, man. Yes, uh, Scott Scott Whalen and, and like Kurt Cobain were kind of in the same age group. It's crazy to That's think right. all, these, all these artists are like you know definitely in that age group of like you know songwriters who are really at the top of the food chain. And to see people like Chester Bennington come out of that and continue to you know before you know he would no longer be you know joining us for 2020, just put out so much great music and so many cool people. I have so many great memories of Lincoln Park and. Chester Bennington, whether it be what I was thinking about with me and Mitchell earlier, is like, dude, remember freaking like anime music videos growing up as kids? Yeah. And fucking like every like freaking Dragon Ball Z anime music video had to have Linkin Park in it. <laughs> <laughs> fucking like literally. Oh, I know. You're, you're, you're that is a super niche uh, thing you're talking about. But I, I remember uh, they did that. They did the, the fight with, uh, Jesus, it was one of the Broly fights. So like it was like Broly Bet. 2. <laughs> and somebody had taken a Godsmack song and 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 uh, dubbed it over the fight with Broly versus when it was like Goten and Trunks. Oh my god. Oh yeah. And I remember watching that. I'm like, this is so badass. Oh man. It's like 13-year-old Mitchell. Sounds like he's 12. Definitely, dude. It's crazy to see like the freaking online community back when like vi- like the only video editing apps they had for like teenagers were probably like Windows Movie Maker. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I got down on Windows Movie Maker. That Windows started. Movie Maker was the shred. I missed that thing too much. Oh, I, I used God. to straight up. I used to pirate skate videos. Like, so like uh, all the original OG '90s videos, like uh, like oh, what was it Flip? Sorry, like Sorry was one. Then there was uh, Zero Dying to Live. Uh, zero. 
dude oh god all of them and anyways long story short i used to pirate those videos and then i'd go back and i'd mute the video and then i would dub it over with my own music <laughs> that i thought fit better and i would even cut the skate clips up to match the music yo so i would like completely just like shred this professional part like this professional video that's made for consumption and i'd go be like this little 10 year old boy and like, shredded dissect yeah, it dissect it and say like, i can do better they should have put this clip here you should have put this clip here and yeah dude i straight did that and i, I fall- fucking love the confidence of 10 year olds sometimes like <laughs> of course I, I can do this better i'm 10 i'm pretty sure they were better because like the originals were were cool but i thought the song they picked was fucking garbage and <laughs> go back right and, oh my god and then one of the videos had like it was silence is golden was one of the the professional parts is one of the really old ones and that was my favorite part to edit because there he just did a part with no music and so i go cut his part up and then i get to put the music on top of it he was like he made his part for me little 10 year old mitch yes it was amazing made Windows. that cut just for young 10 year old so mitchell i slap whatever <laughs> whatever uh corn no i did never use corn but you know what i mean just whatever Word. terrible song yeah. and i would just download random music too i would always find uh just these random songs to download and i would like find the bands that were actually in the and i would go download all their things so like the cranberries was one oh right uh, on yeah and they had like the song was zombie or yeah. whatever and so i went downloaded all their music they went listened to all their music and then found a song that that's was how better. it used to be back in the day yep <laughs> that's mm-hmm. how you found new music is you download everything and literally just have, have to go through it so god i my computer used to have so many goddamn like so and so full discography and it was just completely cluttered up all the time from all of the shit that I downloaded. All the porn. <laughs> Mostly porn, but yeah, music sometimes also. Oh my goodness. Yes, the, all the days of the 2000s were back when you know downloading media was not as superfluous as it was nowadays. Oh my goodness gracious. My favorite Linkin Park memories looking back with the great, you know, this great track from Great Days, which, you know, you can find the record. Uh, on Spotify, and then check out their Instagram at Gray Days Official, where you can check out some of the other artists and their music. And then, as Instagram has always been for me, just extremely, extremely vain portal to showing you this is what my life is like through the guise of photography done at the very, very, very minimalist level. Speaking very of, amateur min- minimalist. Speaking <laughs> of Instagram, yes. though. Mm-hmm. Yes, so the March and Mitch show is officially Instagram ready for you for all your shenanigans and cartoonish reality of uh, <laughs> uh, you know just goofiness. Uh, please scoop. Please follow the March and Mitch show on Instagram. It's really just at the March and Mitch show. You can find uh, very cool title. images of uh, myself and the gang doing podcast stuff every week, as well as just a back backlog history of me and my life and times. Through. Yeah, you want to get to know Alex? <laughs> Go follow the show. Literally, please do the deep dive on my Insta. Then if you want to like message us about the show, please message us on there and ask what that picture was about. Everything from playing in local bands in Las Vegas to getting lost in Oregon's greenery and all kinds of fun stuff with whether it be, you know, hanging out in Detroit Lake or just, you know, trying to look like a like a professional supermodel somewhere out <laughs> in uh, what, Silver Creek Falls. Silver Creek, seriously, I literally was so pretentious. I did a photo shoot before I had music up because that's what you do when when you, you are so lost on the sauce. You're like, hey, let's just have a photo shoot because this person's good at camera stuff. From- <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. From Instagram vanity oh my to gosh. podcast reality. This is the Martin Mitch Show. With all intentions 
permission to use it for for the benefit of the podcast. So please follow the March and Mitch Show on Instagram, where we'll be you know showing little biographies, uh, personal stories, and get you pumped up for our podcast every week. Thank you so much for following us. My favorite uh, Lincoln Park and uh, Chester Bennington memory to end this segment for our artist of the week will always be whenever I would hang out at my restaurant. I used to have to stay like pretty late when I worked and <laughs> uh, you know over on Lancaster and Salem, and uh, it'd be like really like late at night, and like I'd be closing up the restaurant usually because I was one of like the last five servers to go home. Oh, right. And they, uh, like most- Closing time. Literally, no, literally. <laughs> dead ass. <laughs> Just, Fucking I, dead ass. I would always play, if I ever work a closing shift at any job, I always play that song the last 10 minutes. I, and it gets a laugh every time. Dude, People, dude, it's dude, always dude. so funny, dude. It's, and in the office, uh, dude, I pulled it from the office, obviously, but uh, dude, it's, that, that's the move. Like nothing puts people better in a mood, be, a better mood than closing time when they get to go home. It's so funny. I like where your head's at. Definitely, <laughs> I've, I've had I've had that pleasure a few times, especially working several jobs. You told me you've worked in coffee before and I've stuff. In coffee and pe- kitchens, dude. I so, helped run the Seattle kitchen, uh, <laughs> de- uh, the downtown Hilton. There was only me and one other guy and a lady in the morning. That hotel is so fucking underrun. What? The C- downtown. Damn. We were a block away from the Space Needle. It's a downtown Hilton double tree. And we and oh, the double tree. It, oh, it's the hotel. It's, yeah, it's it's like a long term stay. Like it's like the the hill, the double tree is uh seriously accommodating to mm-hmm. long term stays. They got in home. They've got in stove, in home stoves, and all that. In home yeah. stove. Yeah, yeah. So like you know, it's people there like on long trips. So it's got all the amenities of home inside, like a, a full a full fridge and everything. So you can just live at the hotel. But then they've got continental breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and. And you'd think the way it was set up, the amount of uh, meticulation, meticulous, meticulousness, meticulousness uh, that went into prep and the whole kitchen, w- you would imagine there was at least five or six people running it. No, nope. nope, just Mitchell and his buddy, <laughs> Mitchell and this really old, really cranky man <laughs> who who literally could have been he could he was like the the Kroger's version of the Iron <laughs> Chef. He was so grumpy and particular about the way things were set up, and nothing was ever good enough. But yeah, he was like the off-brand Kirkland version of fucking Gordon Ramsay, and it was miserable. These are the characters you meet when you work in kitchens. Seriously, yeah. seriously, when you have a lifetime working in kitchens, oh. just you know your twenties. Oh my gosh, you meet some characters. Fun fact: you meet some characters. Yeah. Guess how many burners, how many stoves, stovetops are in the uh, in the kitchen? Uh, five. Anyone? Ten. Ha. <laughs> Three. Fucking zero. Oh, what? No. Yeah, they're, they're electric hot pot plugins. Oh, Everything no. is cooked on, there is literally no stove in the kitchen. There is just what? the stovetop plug electric burners. Everything was cooked on that. So this professional kitchen had fewer appliances than my Home kitchen. personal kitchen. Yeah. yeah, let that blow your fucking mind. <laughs> Through your experience working in kitchens. And, and, and- <laughs> it was the worst kitchen I, yeah. <laughs> After working at Lane, uh, Lane Community College, which is the biggest kitchen I've ever seen. What it's town is that? In Eugene. Oh, okay. It's the word, community word, college. Word. Okay, I would always see that name pop up. Okay. Yeah, dude. Lane Community College gets mad props. Not only are they uh, organic and shit, they've got like compostable everything. The kitchen is the size of this house. It's like the like there's five sections. There's uh, the front of the house. There's the back of the house. Each section's bigger than the bottom of my entire house. And then the it, go to Seattle and the downtown Hilton, and it's literally the size of this room. It's it's like eight by ten. 
The entire kitchen. It's it's because with a name like that, all the people with the money are at the top end of the food chain, and they're just milking the money while they're making the people at the lower rung kind of just yeah suffer. suffer. Yeah, whereas a community college had more impressive amenities. This this is redonkulous. How could they do this? That's amazing, dude. That that really speaks, I think, to community colleges and how because I've I've seen. You know, I haven't seen the back kitchen of Chemeketa, but I know that the Chemeketa Cafe is really pretty compared to the Willamette Cafe. Ah, well, that's where you're wrong, sweetheart, because I also Uh. worked at Chemeketa Community College. Well, I said back room. I said back room. I didn't say... Or, I mean, uh, it's the front room. I, I don't. I did not say back room because I've not see, been back room. I don't. Room have, in I, don't have, I don't. I don't harbor ill will towards Shemekada. I only worked there for like three months, but it was also miserable. But I blame the people because of Salem, not the kitchen itself. Uh, people in Salem suck when it comes to you. Just, just seriously, imagine being engaged to somebody from Salem. You're from <laughs> California. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're from Arizona. Okay, yeah, that is. You're literally from everywhere but here. Rather be dead in California than alive in Arizona. Oh my God. Anyways, so yeah, I'm not. I would never t- speak illy of Shemekita unless you bring it up. But yeah, sh- in in comparison, Shemekita is better than Seattle. But Lane 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 County trumps all. And that was my segment. We were talking about something completely different. Thank you for following <laughs> me on this derail. Uh, I'm just bringing. You- and that was Kitchen Thrills <laughs> with Mitchell Heron. <laughs> Kitchen. <laughs> So many kitchens. I spent like eight years in coffee and kitchen. Fucking same, bro. Alamo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually like the show a lot because it's fucking relatable, dude. Oh, I've been there. Great. When you have to fucking cut your teeth and fucking know what to do with very little bit, with very little, you have to make the most of what you have with very little. Dude, it's, yeah, it's, it brings ingenuity. It brings ingenuity into your life, and that's why I respect that mentally. So thank you very much. Just, you learn so much, dude. Working most in a kitchen definitely. has got the most applicable life skills, man. Seriously, man, and through and through the you know the guise of understanding uh, pain and suffering, much like Linkin Park singer <laughs> Chester Bennington, I too have come to learn that because as uh, as I was saying a moment ago, Closing. my favorite Chester Bennington Linkin Park memory was always whenever I closed my restaurant up, it would always they would always play off their album. Uh, uh, it wasn't Minutes to Midnight. It was it might it might have been Minutes to Midnight, <laughs> or it was it was it was Chase 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 the Slight. Uh, okay. They have a song called Shadow of the Day. It was, uh, it was a shadow of the day. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I, like, I think I'm, that was off Minutes to Midnight. Was off Minutes to Midnight. I think so. Thank I you, Celine. Wrong, Thank but... you, CSP. So that would always come on like late at, like late at night. And like I'd be like fucking, uh, you know, just kind of like wrapping it up for the day. And like uh, that song would always come on like at like 11.49 p.m., like super late. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I can't wait to go home and like drink beer after this like long, boring day of living like this like cookie cutter, like copy paste life. You know what I mean? And so like it got to the point where like I realized you know like wow this song is like really like a part of like my you know me yeah. growing up a bit and that's why like uh, if you're a fan of Linkin Park or Great A's and like I just want to give a quick shout out to Great A's official and also a big shout out to all the family members uh, of Lincoln of Lincoln Park and Chester thank you so much for like always uh, being there and like thank you to Lincoln Park and Chester Bennington for like creating such great music uh, and always being there emotionally for their fans and like constantly putting out music, no matter what critics said or what, you know, their fans said or whether, you know, you were that 2002 juggalo who was like, wow, <laughs> Lincoln Park, no one's ever going to make an album better than this. Or whether you're that 2014, <laughs> that 2014 college kid who was like, man, I really wish Lincoln Park would stop making music already. Like, oh. I know. I, I see. I feel so bad because I was both those people. Yes. yes. Been and there, then when, yeah. when Chester passed, I went and listened to uh, the, the most recent album that they had put out pretty shortly prior and uh, One More Light. 
And it's it's not exactly what I yeah. would necessarily seek no out, but it's... It was no Meteora. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, nothing can be a Meteora. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, working at the... Uh, having done work at a, a group home, one of my favorite clients got really into Linkin Park. And I remember there was one day when uh, we were driving around and he... Uh, Lincoln Park was on the radio and he at the end was like, man, I really want to see them in concert someday. It was just after Chester had passed. And I just oh, had to be yeah. like, oh, you, you just missed him. You just missed him. Maybe next year, kid. But then I got him uh, the Meteora album for Christmas, which was my favorite album when I was a kid. And uh, I drove him That's up to awesome. Portland for a, a different trip the other uh, a couple days after that. And he just insisted on listening to it back to back to back. The entire way Shred. to and from Portland to the point where, like, after we listened to it on, I think, the fourth go around, I was like, all right, I, I love this as much as the com- next complete fucking simp for Linkin Park, but we've got to listen to something else, man. <laughs> and that is your artist of the week. Check out Great Days. Woohoo. Check out Great A's official on Instagram and listen to Great A's on Spotify. Thank you, Chester Bennington, Linkin Park, Great A's official, and the entire clan supporting that. Thank you guys so much. This has been your Artist of the Week. And we're back. This is the March and Mitch show featuring Celine. Dun, 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 dun. I like to make some noises, too, occasionally. We are back. We took a quick commercial break. Our last segment brought to you the joys of Chester Bennington, followed by a quick commercial break uh, where we talked about some other things. I don't know if you were listening or not. So we're going to move right right on from that, right into the most important... Highly coveted, fact-checked, politically incorrect, left-wing versus right-wing, two wings of the same bird. Celine, bring us your current event. All right. Get in, losers. We're talking about how violence is the answer sometimes. Um, excuse so, the fuck out of me? What? I will not excuse you. So you're not. There is no excuse for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, My mom used so, to say that. <laughs> Can you handle it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? The Warriors. So we're talking about the women's suffrage movement today. Um, And the reason I chose this topic this week is because obviously with the Black Lives Matter protests going on, there's been a huge talking point of like violence isn't the answer or, you know, I support their aims, but this isn't the way to do it. Um, And this has been rattling around in my head ever since hearing those things Um, about how violence isn't the answer and this isn't the way to accomplish a political goal. Because one thing that I think that a lot of people don't know about is the fact that violence has historically been the answer in certain occasions. And we tend to sanitize history, especially when we learn it in school, because we don't want to learn that good things came about through bad means. We want to learn that somebody was peaceful and they just asked really nicely for what they wanted and eventually everyone reached a happy agreement and that's not the case you realize how uh how many people are going to be upset by this right i'm fine with this good 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 this is why i do podcasts alex do you what do you feel i mean we're gonna are you cool if i derail derail you a little bit this time 
What, as opposed to all of the other times? I just figured permission's important. <laughs> well, it's fun that you've asked permission this time. Oh, good, good. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in hearing what Celine has to say. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay, well. Uh, that's all. Thanks, Alex. Oh, that's okay. What a respectful host. Thank you. But I think we've... so. When I was growing up, I always knew that the women's suffrage movement had happened because my parents were pretty, pretty liberal folks. And, you know, they talked about things like people getting the right to vote. But my school actually very barely covered the women's right to vote. In fact, my uh, U.S. history class, at one point we cut straight from, yeah, we cut straight from the Great Depression to World War II, which skips a whole lot of history. And I remember reading through my history book and noticing that we were skipping the entire women's suffrage section. And I asked my teacher if we were going to cover that. And she said that that wasn't that important. (laughs) And I remember being deeply offended by this. So not only did I not learn anything about women's suffrage technically in in my school, but even people who do tend to learn this very sanitized version. And the reason that I'm talking about this this week is because I think that there's a lot of parallels to what we see today with the criticisms of the Black Lives Matter movement compared to what actually worked for the women's right to vote movement. So that's kind of where how we got here. So women's suffrage was actually a lot more violent than what we learned in school. Like we learned a lot lot about um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and similar figures who were extremely nonviolent, made it very clear that they were not interested in anything that was going to inconvenience the American populace or put anybody in danger. And that's all well and good because those were the people who ultimately ended up being more listened to when the laws ended up being written. Mm. But we absolutely could not have gotten to where they got us without the people who were much more militant. And I think that there's just a really, really fucking fun history behind the the women's uh, suffrage movement that gets glossed over so much. And it really started a lot in the UK. Um, Two of the biggest figures known for their more militant tactics were Emmeline and Christabel Pankhurst. And they actually openly espoused violence. So they actually specifically said, we think that being violent is the way that we're going to get. Did they say that that, that ladies should just hit dudes regardless? Just, no, just they were bring- they were very organized. Oh, they, okay, okay. Yeah, no, they they very much saw themselves oh, and used the language of we are a resistance movement, we are an army of women. They used actual military tactics. Whoa, shit, damn. Yeah, so we're talking things as orchestrated as um on on November 28th, to, uh, 1912 across the the United Kingdom uh simultaneously like to the minute post boxes were completely destroyed and demolished all at once. So it was extremely organized. This is some project mayhem shit. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) no. And I mean, they, so the leadership of the movement tended to focus on, Hey, we don't want anyone to get hurt. We just want to draw attention and we're only going to be targeting like political offices. The rank and file folks didn't follow that so much. So uh, one of my favorite stories that I read was, uh, well, there's a few. Uh, one of my favorites was a woman who mistook Winston Churchill for the prime minister at the time. And <laughs> Wait, was it was Winston Churchill? Really? Yeah, she mistook Winston Churchill for the prime minister. And I, I believe he ends up later being the prime minister. I'm not that great at English history at all. But uh, a young Winston Churchill was attacked and literally whipped with a horse whip by a woman who mistook him for the prime minister and wanted oh, to make a point. Oh, shit. Wow. Um, there were two other women who described, uh, disguised themselves as orange salesmen and set up a catapult and missiles and bombed the uh, prime minister's house. 
<laughs> all the while dressed as orange salesman. Well, shit. And another chick who just fucking carried around a hatchet whenever she thought that the prime minister might be visiting that town. And at one point, like seriously injured one of his aides by throwing this hatchet at him and accidentally hitting his aide instead. So it was some crazy shit. Like, let's Women's not. Women's suffrage, you scary. Oh. I know. Like, oh, let's not. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What year was Oof. this? Go back. What Th- year? Uh, this was predominantly between the years of 1911 and 1914. So hold on, hold on. This is going to, I got a counterpoint that is um, parallel to yours. So mm-hmm. what what year did uh, American civilization begun, begun to mediasize the American dream, the picket house, white fence? And, you know, own a home, family, kids, like leave it to Beaver. What year was, what year was that? I mean, was there a specific, I feel like there wasn't a specific year. Leave it to Beaver? Well, leave, it, leave it to Beaver was, hold on. The, well, I have a point. I mean, okay, well, the TV didn't exist in 1912, I don't think. That's my whole point here. So leave it to Beaver was uh, 1957 to 1963, right? Uh, right around those years, the black and white version, like when television first uh, came out. You're talking about 1911, right? Roughly, yeah. Right. But what is Leave it to Beaver, if anything, but not the first iconic family sitcom? Also, what is the role of the woman in this movie or in this television series? You're not familiar with Leave it to Beaver. I've never seen Leave it to uh, Beaver. Ah, okay. Well, this is me then. No, more media. Let me, let me just, anyways. Uh, basically, like, the mom is, like, the peaceful, quiet, doesn't interject, doesn't. And you're saying that there's these incredibly violent, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people fighting for their rights. Well, and it's funny you mentioned this archetype of, of womanhood because uh, one thing that I was reading about is, quote, the, the quote of true womanhood, mm-hmm. which was a really huge uh, social ideal at the time, which was that women essentially are, are seen, not heard. They take care of the family. They stay home. They make everything nice for the everybody else, a.k.a. Yeah. men. <laughs> But yeah, so we're really contrasting this idea of, you know, cult, the, the cult of true womanhood against the fact that there were mothers and, you know, people who had originally been considered respectable members of society out here pretending to be orange salesmen and throwing bombs at the prime minister. And, you know, it, it was called the uh, the suffragette outrages. So most papers reported on these daily outrages of just horrible things that the suffragettes had done, and it was it, it was pr- considered pretty uh, pretty volatile. It was you know there were buildings that were burnt completely to the ground, including post offices, um, cinemas, government buildings, Dang. completely torched. And there were and they would always leave evidence like pamphlets and placards to let them know, hey, this was done by the women's suffrage movement. At one point, a train station was thoroughly burnt down and they accidentally burnt down the pamphlets they had left with it. And so originally it was not attributed to the women's suffrage movement. And they later sent a copy of the newspaper with handwritten annotations, letting the the guy who owned the train station know that they had bombed his train station. Yeah. Like it was actual terrorism by the definition of it. Yeah. But they were very clear (laughs) on the fact that they believed in this. Um, I'd love to read a quick quote by, um, uh, Christabel Pankhurst, who said that if men use explosives and bombs for their own purpose, they call it war. And the throwing of a bomb that destroys other people is then described as a glorious and heroic deed. Why should a woman not make use of the same weapons as men? It is not only war we have declared. We are fighting for a revolution. 
Damn, they got him right for the juggler. Yeah, yeah. They got him right for the juggler. Oh well, my goodness! I mean, and, uh, for me, Yeesh. for me, this stuff is like, like duh. You know, like yeah, I hear this. Stuff. Yeah, right. For me, this is like duh stuff. Like I don't understand who doesn't look back at history and realize that you know, for the majority of your childhood, you were lied to. Like just, just look at even, uh, even in parallels of this, just look at Native American history. Like that's the most whitewashed uh, form of history that we still teach. Right? Like we teach Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. And and never once in all of my high school career, so all the way up to I was eighteen year old, eighteen years old, did I ever hear that that Native American people were murdered, uh, not just murdered, but genocide was just took place in order for us to like claim this free and putting air quotes out there claim yeah. this free land and then we teach that the pioneers we teach about lewis and clark we teach about all this about how america did all these things and how they and it's that but with everything it's that with yeah, all of I, history that was written by white america i i completely agree um i i would love thanks, to, to thanks, bring baby. it I'd love to bring it around to where this gets to the United States. Bring it back. So the one of the key, uh, you know, less politically acceptable figures in the American women's suffrage movement was Alice Paul, who was this fucking badass Quaker chick. Sounds like a bad super 90s, early 80s, late 80s uh, hair metal band, Alice Paul. (laughs) (laughs) I love the name. I love it. And so she was... Super cool. She went to England and she ended up because she felt very strongly about the women's suffrage movement. She was very intelligent and really wanted to be able to make choices and do things with her life. And that's difficult when so many avenues are barred to women and you don't have a, a say in those matters. So she went to England and studied direct. Well, not studied, but worked directly with Emmeline and um, and Christabel Pankhurst and really believed in their methods, really believed that violent insurrection, organized violent insurrection was what was needed in America. So she came back to America and brought these these ideas there. And the day before President Woodrow Wilson's inauguration, she organized, helped to organize a march of over 5,000 women um, on Pennsylvania Avenue going towards the White House. And it's funny because they organized this march the day before Woodrow Wilson's inauguration. And so uh, President Woodrow Wilson came into town that day, the day of this march, and showed up at the train station. And he looked around because he was expecting a bunch of people to be greeting him. And there's almost no one at the train station. And so he's like, hey, where where the fuck is everybody? I'm going to be the president tomorrow. You should be here. And they were like, ah, they're watching the women do the thing downtown. They're watching the important stuff. And so it turns out that, unfortunately, watching the important stuff meant that there were a lot of bystanders, mainly young men, standing to the side of the road watching these women do this march for uh, mm. the, the ability to vote. And oh, this is for the ability to vote? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, this is how people, the the, vagi- the bee vagina <laughs> like me. <laughs> I love that term, honestly. Better, the, better, the best category for all of the planet is vaginas and non-vaginas. Amen. <laughs> Either you've got one and you have a preference, or you don't have one, you got something else, and you also have a preference. Yeah, I'm fine with boiling everybody down to just basic, like, what you got? And respect. And then it doesn't matter beyond that. Yeah, respect. Respect people's, yeah, opinions and feelings, man. It's not hard. It's basic humanity. Anyways. But yeah, so this is the story of how the bee vagina (laughs) gained... 
the right to put their opinions on paper and have account for something. I hate America so much. Oh man, I hate it here. I'm so glad you're on the show. What would we do without you? <laughs> and so they, these bystanders on the side, because this, I want to be clear that this march, despite being led by Alice, Alice Paul, who you know, made it very clear that mm-hmm. she was willing to espouse these violent militant tactics. Uh, they, it started and it was peaceful. There were no militant tactics at this march. The only thing that could be considered and was considered militant at the time was the fact that it was 5,000 people all marching at once. Right. And so there the police were aware of this protest and they were assigned to protect it. There was at least one instance of a police officer actually causing a harm to one of the protesters out of out of anger at the cause. Um, and the jury remains out since 1912 on whether the police chose not to intervene mm. towards bystander violence or if they just were severely ill-equipped to do so. Huh. But regardless, a hundred people... Sounds like they needed to be defunded. <laughs> Defund the <Right>? police. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, are you guys picking up on any parallels here? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So this March of 5,000 ended with over a hundred people in the hospital. Oh um, over a hundred of the protesters in the oh, hospital. Well. Mm-hmm. And one account um, from the New York Post, I believe, at the time said that there were two ambulances that for a good six hours were just going to and fro between the White House and the hospital. Dang. Because they only had one available ambulance? What the? Only two, apparently. I mean, it was 1912. Like, okay, fair point. All right. Half the vehicles were still like part horse. <laughs> <laughs> like horsepower was a literal thing. Okay, okay, all right. Free pass, free pass. I'm not judging. I wasn't there. Not here to judge. Just here to support the movement. But so, you know, a lot of people ended up being arrested during this. And this is the part that I've always found especially egregious that we don't know about because people always think, well, the suffragettes were nonviolent. And so they got what they wanted through nonviolence. They even the nonviolent ones still faced violence by the state. So a lot of women. So Alice Paul really becomes key because after this large protest, she continues to have pickets on the White House almost every single day. Nice. Demanding that Woodrow Wilson stop being a complete fuck. And let women vote. Yeah, for in, in political terms, you know. Yeah. Quit, quit being a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it became especially unpopular during World War One once World War One broke because people were like, how dare you defy yeah. the White House during right. this time of crisis? And she was like, I dare because I can't vote on anything involved here. Yeah. Don't so, even get me started. Yeah, so it was very politically unpopular for her to do this. And it resulted in a lot of violence against suffragettes by the state. So a lot of women who were arrested were involved in a hunger strike upon their arrest because all they were arrested for was... Hashtag Gandhi. ...peacefully protesting. Yeah. And these women were <laughs> overwhelmingly force-fed. Alice Paul uh, in personally was... I. If I recall correctly from what I read, it was 233 times force that fed? she was force fed. Oh, that's miserable. It's, mi- it's force torturous. fed what? Food. Just food. What kind of food? I mean, I probably literally some- blended pureed yeah, I was food. Say, oh. Probably liquid garbage. It's, you know, when somebody's force fed, and actually there's a really great video of um, Alex uh, of Most uh, F, uh-huh. who this is kind of unrelated, but Most F has a really great video of himself being force fed in. You know, just to, to yeah. show what Guantanamo Bay inmates are going uh-huh. through because a lot of Guantanamo inmates have been force fed and it's horrifying. Yeah. Like he is I, I, I met and I, aggressively and crying on camera. I, it's a terrifying process. I don't know the process, but I mean, my my intellectual side takes over and I'm imagining that they shove a giant tube with a funnel down your throat and they just 
force it into your That's belly. That's exactly right. Yeah, see, look at me. Yeah, no, and, and Mostaf actually, when he did this, yeah. he tried initially to do it without being restrained because mm-hmm. the normal process to, is to restrain somebody. And he ended up, yeah. you know, just instinctually violently protesting it enough that he decided to do a take two after yeah. forcing people away from him, but agreed to be restrained for it because he just knew that he wasn't going to be able to do it without. Yeah, because it's not like down the back of your throat. It's all the way down your esophagus into your stomach. So right. it can get, they can literally force feed you nutrients so your body will digest it without like, you know, vomiting it back up. Exactly. Oof. So it's, exactly. It's a horrifying process. And so you can imagine the trauma of this happening 200 plus times to you. Yeah. So this, you know, this type of violence by the state, by the police, to women who are incarcerated, you know, women who had families and children and livelihoods is unthinkable. And I think that that's part of why we kind of sanitize this version of history is because not only does it show that these militant tactics by these women worked, because ultimately the 19th Amendment was ratified and I can now vote. These are real punishments used against the yeah. suffragettes? No, and th- it was very common for the suffragettes to oh, utilize shit. hunger strikes. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, oh. They, they leaned very heavily on a lot of Gandhi's thinking. and My guy Gandhi. Yeah, and they would often organize hunger strikes in prison yeah. and the state said, fuck you, you can't do that. Yeah. And just violated these women, yeah. frankly. That's fucked up. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> but ultimately... In large part, from a lot of the sources I read, in large part due to Alice Paul's more militant and aggressive tactics, because a lot of suffragettes at the time, the the more politically correct ones, once World War One broke out, said, you know what, we've got too much to worry about. Let's focus on the war. Let's focus on the country. And Alice Paul said, yeah, totally. Focus on the war, focus on the country, but I still deserve a say. And continued these pickets. And ultimately, that was a huge part of what led to the 19th Amendment being ratified. Yeah. Was the fact that she continually brought this spotlight to the issue. So when we say, hey, violence doesn't work or these aggressive, inconvenient tactics like blocking traffic don't work. Yeah. Literally check your facts. (laughs) Yeah. Because if we look to the suffragettes in England who gained the right to vote, if we look to the lessons that they taught American suffragettes like Alice Paul... And how she ended up being so influential in gaining the right to vote. We see that inconveniencing people and utilizing somewhat violent tactics draws attention to the issue so much that people end up paying attention. Yeah. And ultimately, that's how Ooh. I can vote. So long story short, people who behave rarely make, Mis- they rarely make hey, history. fucking men. Yes. Mm-hmm. I guess some people. Well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> Okay, well, we're well, oh, wow, well behaved folks in general. Well, now now we got now we got the actual the fucking the the fucking you know the clinic to fucking support that and shit. Damn, that's yeah. crazy. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool. This this is fucking awesome. This is crazy. Well, yeah. So my 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 ultimate take here is when we look to organizations like Black Lives Matter, which ultimately is not a violent organization. I want to be very clear that that's not word, the claim I'm making. Word. Do you? Can I ask a really uh, unpopular question? There is like some, and and I have not looked into it. There's just some people out there claiming that the BLM stuff is run by like not the right people, and like the funding and stuff is going to the wrong places. Have you? Do you know anything about that? You know, I'll be honest. That's something that I should read more about, and I don't feel comfortable taking yeah, a stance yeah. on that without having read about we'll, it. Well, we'll bring, we'll come back to that because again, like I said, there's so much going on online right now, and I and I don't want to get into mm-hmm. it if we don't have the information. And you're my go-to for information for sure. But I've I've just heard some people making those claims, and I don't know whether they're whack or well, and it's or fact. It's whack Ooh, or fact. Whack or fact. We do a segment yeah. called Whack or Fact. <laughs> uh, That'd be fun. Yeah, we'll I'm, do that. I'm down for that. 
that. We'll just do that next time. We'll just, we'll bring up a conspiracy and be like, is it whack or fat? Anyways, finish, finish your, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go but ahead. yeah, no, I mean, ultimately, I think what we need to remember as onlookers to this major civil rights struggle that we're witnessing right now is first of all that historically the police have been entirely unhelpful. In this case, they happen to be entirely the problem. And they seem less hurtful than right now, though. They seem pretty bad, but not right now bad. It seems like it's gotten right. worse. Oh yeah. I mean I would I would certainly agree with that. And that's I would say a, a topic for a deeper delve on another day. Deal. But yeah, I mean, obviously right now the whole thing is, hey, police, stop being fucking brutal. Yeah. But even when we were talking about issues. Week, we'll cover police brutality. Yeah, well, week. and I mean, even using this this issue, like this is a really good example because these women who were brutalized in prison, mm-hmm. you know, and if, you know, if, especially if you look at the women suffragettes in the UK, they had everything taken from them. They were unhirable. Mm-hmm. So these types of, you know, forcing people to the margins, forcing this type of brutality on them in the hopes that they'll just back down and accept their place. Ultimately, that doesn't work. Ultimately, right. it you know creates more vitriol. Alice Paul didn't get out of prison after her first force feeding and think, you know what? Yeah. Maybe these people should continue to make all the choices. Right. She came out of prison and said, you know what? These people shouldn't make a goddamn choice in my life. They shouldn't make any more choices, period. I'm going to go bomb something. Yeah. She didn't. I don't I don't believe that Alice Paul was a, a mass bomber or anything like that, but it really did vitalize people. Man, Fight Club was way on point. <laughs> Man, now I want to watch that tonight. I can't believe we covered Fight Club in like the first the 10 word episodes. Of the, that's the word right. of the week is vitriol. Yeah. That's the word of the week. Word of the week. That's a good word of the week. Oh, they should do like a... Dude, I I would totally be okay with a Fight Club remake with like female cast, though. That would be absolutely great, dude. Like uh, Helena Bonham Carter, but this time is yes, not just a male fantasy prop. <laughs> yes, this time, yeah, this time she is Tyler Durden. Yes, Ooh, it could be a follow up. Helena <laughs> Bonham Carter is Tyler Durden is my new favorite thing. Go watch Fight Club if you haven't, because I think that'll put in perspective what's going on here, because everything we talk about in that movie straight up is is totally applicable to the bullshit that uh, happened in 1911. So, And I just I know I said this already, but I want to be very clear on the fact that Winston Churchill was whipped <laughs> with a horse whip by someone who thought he was somebody else. And I think that's enough time in this segment. <laughs> Uh, thank you for listening, Celine. You always bring the most um, controversial, uh, hearty, uh, most open-minded and factually accurate piece. It's probably the only reason that people listen to us because, I mean, don't get me wrong. I do love a good music and movie segment, but the stuff that you bring us is truly inspirational. And I think so many people are like, like want to hear your information. And also, do we, do we cite sources this time? This time I did not. I I took a lot of my information from just where, where the it, Guardian. Yeah, they want to read what you read. Yeah, I, I read a lot from the Guardian and um, Time Magazine. But really, honestly, I'll I'll be totally frank with you. A lot of what I did was just Google uh, women's suffrage violence. Okay, all right. And we got a lot of good information. No, no, no. It's okay. I mean, I I I prefer I prefer to avoid you know. You know, we need to talk about Media Corporation owning all the media outlets. Uh, yes. We will do that. We'll do that another episode. We need to talk about how many different <sighs> sites I had to sign up for in order to be able to do research for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got so many things to talk about, and this is why we're doing a podcast, because, you know, next maybe next time you'll catch it. But I think that was hard, heavy, fast, just like you like it in bed. We're going <laughs> to lighten the mood. We're going to bring it to you with something cool, something fun. 
Uh, I believe this is my segment. Uh, if it we're, sure is. We're going to lighten the mood with some candles, a little bit of uh, RBJ, a little bit of RNJ, R&B, a little bit of R&B there music. Go. There we go. Some smooth, sexy jazz. You know what we do when you uh, turn the light down low and you get a little bit of wax play going. And we're going to talk about this week's nostalgia trip. This is my segment. We're going to rewind it back with you for a nostalgia <laughs> trip. Thank you to Celine Sands-Pond for sharing your viewpoints and some historical facts about the women's suffrage movement in America. Do you and, hear him right now? He sounds like a midnight radio host. And how I this know. Continue talking. And, and the parallels with today's Black Lives Matter movement. Thank you so much. Uh, word of the week is vitriol. <laughs> you know that uh, part in Arrested <laughs> Development where Job is reading the menu to Lucille too? Yeah. I want Alex to meet, read the menu every time we ever go out. <laughs> you guys. Alex is in the sweet spot when it comes yeah. to, to, to podcasting. He, he's finally hit that level of zen and, and, and liquidation where he just sweetly talks to the microphone like he's about ready to, to make sweet love to it before he makes sweet love to it. And I think we all just melt a little bit inside. So we're going to finish up this. We're going to come back. We're going to take a, a quick break. We're not going to actually take a break. You won't no, even notice that we're gone. We're going to be back before you know it, but we'll be right back after this. And that was... King of the Monsters, a.k.a. King of the Podcast. You know what we do. This is the segment. <laughs> Marchewski, reel me in. Hype me up a little bit. Tell, tell them how, how, what I do. Thank you so much for joining the March Mid Show featuring CSP. It's been a pleasure having you all this week. After a long weekend of camping, we're very stoked to be bringing you your favorites in music, media, social commentary. We've got lots of entertaining segments to bring to you in the future, whether it's music, movies, or media. So we're right back at it again. <laughs> so with, smooth. With our with one of my favorite segments. This is our nostalgia trip this week with Mitchell Herring. And this is where me and Mitchell typically get to uh, divulge you and all of our favorites of uh, you know '90s camp, 2000s sludge. Yeah, early 2000, <laughs> right. <laughs> Should that may or may not have stood straight, the test of time. Straight, yeah. Straight to VHS terror. Dude, yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was hyped on Johnny Tsunami. I, I'm going to apologize now up front to the listener. Uh, normally, <laughs> normally I do my homework, right? Like we all do our homework on the show. Last yeah. week I phoned it in and after listening, re-listening to the show, I, 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 you know what? I'm going to take the L on this one. I, I couldn't remember enough about the show. to, I, And honestly, I felt like I kind of just like high leveled it. And I, I literally could have done a better job uh, of Johnny Tsunami. Like I realized uh, I didn't talk about his grandpa at all, who is literally the, the backbone of the entire movie. Yo, hey, Bono! Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, Johnny Tsunami's a fucking great movie, and I just phoned it in. I fucked it up. And so, like, I oh, like I feel like I should DM Johnny Tsunami by like, hey, listen, man, I reviewed your movie. <laughs> I, I, dear I, Johnny. Yeah, dear Johnny. I, this DM. Yeah, dude, I fucked your movie up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sincerely, Mitch. I promise Quote, I'll do better. March and Mitch podcast. <laughs> I promise I'll do better on the sequel. <laughs> so this time, this time we did not. This time I did my homework. The movie, the nostalgia trip of the week is Spirited Away. On top of that, first of all, let me just ask you guys, have you seen Spirited Away? If yes, when was the last time you watched it? 
I think the last time I watched it was on a plane probably four years ago you when I had it downloaded it on. with me last night. Oh, well, I thought you meant before <laughs> no, that. No, 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 no. Like literally, when was the last physical time you watched the movie? Okay, the last physical time I watched the movie was last night with you. Which Perfect. you know because you were there. <laughs> okay, well, Alex, what about you? When was the last time you saw Spirited? I actually secretly watched it a couple hours later. Last time I remember, like, physically watching, like, Spirit Away. <laughs> or digitally, or, you know, mentally. Yeah, for me, like, it probably was, like, would have been, like, circa 2011, 2012. And, like, I have a buddy. That Still, reminds, though, that's, uh, like, 10 years after it came out, though. Word, word, yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I kudos go to, like, Nate, Nate Miller, if you ever, like, listen to my podcast. Like, kudos <laughs> go to you. Love you long time, dude. <laughs> love you a long time. You, you, and, you and my buddy Nate Miller from back home would, like, get along, like, really well. Like, for real. I love people named Nate, especially with the last name Miller. Like, yeah, I'm all about Cause it. Because then you get to call Nasty Nate all the time. <laughs> and, they have to, <laughs> yeah. and then they have to deal with it. <laughs> uh, so the reason, yeah, my, my questioning for that is is just to figure out, you know, like, how much, when was the last time you, you, you partook in a Miyazaki film, specifically this one? Uh, I'm going to do this new bit that we talked about. Celine, you're the, the creative genius who brought this up. I was mansplaining Avatar in such a way where I was basically just like, I was high level explaining Avatar in rapid fired pace so quickly. I was like, just seeing how much I could get. But through. also like Avatar basics for dummies, but yeah, with coffee. Yeah, exactly. And like, so there's these four elements, right? You know, there's like the, the wind and the water and the air. And obviously you do it better than I do, but that was kind of the <laughs> rapid fire pace, but also the base level, you like funny. fucking set the stage. I like your, I like your impression of me. That was cute. <laughs> Uh, maybe maybe I can bring you Avatar, uh, but y- you made the comment. You're like, I can just listen to you fast playing uh, Avatar all day long. And it's like, click. Oh, okay. So I'm going to, again, this is a new segment. It's the same segment with an upgraded version. So I'm going to try to explain Hayao Miyazaki's Whoa. Spirit Away in under 60 seconds. I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail, and I'm going to continue over the 60 seconds. And maybe we'll, well, again, we haven't done this before, but I'm going to try. So... And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll finish off with the brewski. But all right, are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Hayao Miyazaki's Spirited Away. Start the clock. So basically, there's this little girl, and she's like super cool and shit, and they're moving with along away with her family. So her parents are kind of dickheads, and so they end up winding in this secret Spirited Away place. They're trying to move, and her parents eat this food that doesn't belong to them, and then that's a bad choice. <laughs> so her, yeah, she's like got a good soul and shit, so she doesn't eat the food. So their parents turn into pigs because of a witch, and the witch is the bad guy. Witch's name is some Y Yaga shit, and... She gets saved by a wolf. The wolf is a water spirit. So you find out real quick. I'm fucking (laughs) up. Oh, no. Uh, Long story short, uh, he helps her get into the spirited away world, the spirited away world, which is where all the spirits live. She gets a job. Uh, The job is basically doing manual labor with other people who look like humans, but it's never actually explained if they are human. That's okay. She befriends a person, the the voice of Meg from Hercules. Also, the voice of the main character is Lilo, a.k.a. Lilo and Stitch. That's fucked up. One year apart. That's cool. Uh, So we're at 60 seconds. So we're going to have to extend the thing. We're going to keep going, though. So after she gets the job, she tries to reverse her parents' magical... um, spell because they're both pigs now uh she does a couple of weird chores she meets this guy uh his he's a no face he's a bad character but he turns out to be a good character uh she travels to a witch the witch has got actually a twin sister who's much cooler but also just as powerful uh the witch magically undoes a bunch of shit travel back to the magical uh home of the uh bathhouse bathhouse which is where the spirited away people all go all spirits go there to get washed and cleaned and shit uh which is where all the manual label takes place 
after that, uh, the magical witch and the magical flying dragon who saved her as a child, who is now her best friend and kind of like has this weird romance thing. Uh, there's a final test toward the end of the movie. The, the final test is uh, pick out your parents, uh, which, which pig is which. And then, uh, you know, it's a trick question. Uh, surprise. Ah, there's actually her parents aren't there. And, uh, she accurately picks the correct information. And so she gets to go home free. And then that's the end of the movie. All right, exactly two minutes. Show <clears throat> Mitchell. Not bad for a pilot, Ren. Yeah, wow, wow. Okay, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll do like three minutes or something because, you know, I feel like I. I yeah, I will say, wow, that was a lot going on very quickly. <laughs> I skipped. Your endeavor is immeasurable. <laughs> You brought the heat like a major league baseball player. And this is such a crazy movie to try to wrap up so quickly. Like you were wrapping up an Avatar episode, which like that's much more doable to wrap up in a short amount of time. Like there's too much going on in a Miyazaki movie. Oh my goodness. No, that's okay. Like your endeavor and your commitment to finishing strong Mitchell is explanatorily (laughs) phenomenal as far as when it comes to doing your job, which was to just take a movie, condense it. And just explain it in a very, very fun, rapid fire. Well, and I love, I love this as a concept for how you introduce (laughs) the nostalgia trip because it's, you know, I, I love when you've, I've seen a movie with you and you explain it rapid fire like that because it highlights to me the things that you noticed and and felt were the biggest plot points. Mm. So it's interesting having watched a movie with you and then hearing you sum it up so quickly. Yeah. Uh, next time I'd prefer three minutes. Maybe we'll 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 cut it from sixty seconds. We'll do like under three minutes. And uh, yeah, and maybe that'll be enough time to to accurately portray the movie. Like I said, Hayao Miyazaki has like a bunch of he's a cult. This is a cult classic. Like Very this big movie, cult following. Th- there are people who have been indoctrinated into anime because of this fucking movie. There's lots <laughs> of film. Yeah, made by Spirited Away. I saw this on like te- no, my first. I'm not. I lied. My first was uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah. Same. I grew up on that shit. That was on Disney Channel. Like how? How was that on Disney Channel? I didn't know it was on Disney Channel because my mom had it on VHS. <sighs> Mind blown. Um, all the talking cat, Gigi. Celine was allowed to watch cartoons as a kid. What? <laughs> Only the nonviolent ones. Oh. <laughs> but, but, so check this out. So for Kiki's Delivery Service being on Disney Channel growing up was somehow... It got me prepped, right? So, like, the animation style. And I love that movie. It was, like, super wholesome. There was, like, there's, like, almost no drama in it. Like, it's so sweet. Like, it's yeah. honestly, I'll, I'll admit it's a little boring to watch as a grown-up because it is so no yeah. drama. But the animation style, and I love that movie growing up, is what, like, prepped me to when uh, when I was slightly older because I think I saw Kiki's Delivery Service when I was, like, nine, and I was hanging out with some friends. I'm a little bit older. I'm going to be, like, 11. And my buddy rents fucking and we watched this in the garage and this is back when they had those giant tube tvs crt TVs. <laughs> yeah oh, giant man, it was a, it was with this, the rounded front it was a it was like a 15 to 20 inch tube tv that it we was had a simpler time but it had, kind of when you like switched it off it did that like oh and it had thing. a vh plus player in it mm-hmm. yeah, it was the, oh, the two and one yeah this is some advanced oh, shit this tv hanging out in the garage yeah. they, that was the height of luxury and they uh they rented let 10, 11 year old Mitchell got to see Princess Mononoke. And I had no idea cool. what it was. And the animation style is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but the, it was so intense and so gritty in comparison. So I didn't make the correlation that they were the same. Mm-hmm. That fast forward a little bit, a little bit more. 
then I see Spirited Away. And that's when I was hooked. And then that's oh. when I knew. That I was kind like, of bridged the gap. Yeah. yeah I because see that. it was Kiki's Delivery Service on Disney, followed by this intense movie that I've only seen one time, but I remember it being amazing. And then uh, later in life, somewhere down the road, I saw Spirited Away. And I was like, oh my. And I remember, you know, I saw Spirited Away. You want to know where I saw it? In Fred Myers when they had the giant flat screen TV and they would play movies all day long. <laughs> my mom would oh. work at Fred Meyer. And so I'd go oh. to work with her sometimes and I would just oh wander God, around awesome. the store oh. for hours. That's and so mostly awesome. I would just hang out uh, oh. in the, in the, cause they had the, the TV and I would just hang out and the TV is like, oh, such that you can't do this in today's world. That's so wholesome. <laughs> Mitchell, but I would watch, yeah, I remember watching it on the giant oh. TV at Fred Meyer's and it was spirit away and it was like critically acclaimed golden globe winning 2001 11 year old mitchell watching this atford meyer and i remember just like falling in love with this movie and being like this is the greatest movie i've ever seen that's freaking that was my reaction when i first saw it as a kid yeah yeah 11 years old definitely watching atford meyer was a huge thing and uh, would never happen. I would have never seen it if I hadn't gone to like work with my mom and just like been like meandering around the store for eight hours. Yo. Uh, do you feel like a lot of like American cartoons and American anim- Western animation borrows a lot from like Hayao Miyazaki? I don't even know how to comment on that because the, this or just any any example or anything back then maybe yeah nowadays yeah. not so much but okay. but when okay. that movie came out in two thousand one yeah like when it was brand new. Again, like mm-hmm. watching that movie, and I still had not made the correlation that the same director had made all the other films, but these are all other. The day I realized, I think it was the day that my friend Kento in high school. So, you know, fast forward 2006 to nine, my, my half Asian, half American, one of my best friends, Kento, Kento uh, had like all this, my name is t- my, uh, my neighbor Totoro mm-hmm. shit in his room. And I was like, what the fuck? This is the most Asian thing I've ever seen. What is this? And he starts to and Seriously, Totoro is the most fucking wholesome no, dude. thing that ever happened to any movie screen <laughs> in the world. I love that you're so about this. Yeah, dude. He starts telling me about Totoro and I'm just like, what is, to- I have never seen this movie. What are you talking about? And, and it's, it's so popular. And then he starts explaining to me like, like Hayao Miyazaki movies. And I was just like, wait, Princess Mononoke? Wait, what? Kiki's delivery service? What? Spirited away? What? And he's like, yeah. And, and again, I had I had not seen Totoro yet, my neighbor Totoro, but uh, but I'd seen the other one movies, and I was like, this guy's a fuck. My entire life imploded at that age, at the age, at the young age of of high school, Mitchell. You know, at all these moments in my life, finally, the dots had come connected, and I had realized that all these movies I loved as a child came from the same dude. And and my life forever forward was like, I am I fucked with Miyazaki. See, it's funny that that was your experience was like Kiki's delivery service, and then seeing <laughs> Princess Mononoke as something totally different, and then seeing Spirited Away as like the bridge, the gap. Yeah, because I actually so I, I grew up on Kiki's delivery service, and then the next movie that I saw was uh, Spirited Away. And then my dad and I actually ended up getting into Hayao Miyazaki simultaneously, but separately. Mm. And so like he was watching movies from Miyazaki when I happened to be at my mom's house. He was watching them with my my brother and sister. And then uh, my dad's (coughs) big tradition for Father's Day is to go out for a Father's Day movie. And then I remember we realized that we were both Miyazaki fans when he really wanted to go see Howl's Moving Castle. 
And I was like, fuck yes. You know, maybe we Whoa, just like cool. make the next six or seven segments Miyazaki segments because I could talk about Oh, this no, don't I'll... twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, you're going to have to go home and do some homework. I'll do some more homework, seriously. But yeah. okay, go on. I could probably do that. But yeah, you know, one thing that I think that you would be excited to know, Mitchell, is did you know that Spirited Away is actually a commentary in part on uh, women and girls who are trafficked into sex slavery? Uh, I got that vibe and I kind of picked that up and I didn't I didn't mention anything about it. But I'm like, this feels like indoctrinated, uh, wait, indentured servitude. Yeah, it's it's subtle enough that it's not like, hey. No, Go ahead and confront the realities of sexual slavery right now. No, but it is, though. But you would, the if, you were, if you're aware of it, you would pick up on it. And the movie is entirely, and, and I noticed that last night, too. I'm like, this is the darkest and most fucked movie. This poor girl loses her parents, walks into this reality that well, she... Well, she loses her parents because they're too stupid and self-involved. Yeah, and then is basically forced into slavery... Uh, modern, she has to give up her name. Yep, give up her name. Has to again complete manual labor mm-hmm. in order to not get fucked and killed by the uh, yeah. And then the rest of the movie is basically indentured servitude, followed by like her trying to sneak away in order to uh, save her parents and continue to hold on to her true sense of self. Mm. Is a huge part of it. Is you know the fact that Whoa. her name is Chihiro. Yeah, and Yubaba takes her name and says. Chihiro. Your name is Sen. Yeah, I've stolen the name Chihiro. You've given that to me. Your name is Sen now. And a huge part of it is remembering that her name is really Chihiro. Yeah, right, right, right. Good good call out. I had, I mean, like, again, yeah, like, and, I and felt Yazaki it. And Miyazaki actually said that that's, that's something that he intended with this movie. My that's, guy. I so, know. And so we can confirm that Hayao Miyazaki actually has, like, a lot of parallels with his movies. He wrote with it actual, like, right. so, Miyazaki like, is a commentary. fucking chiller. And yeah. throughout all of his movies, one thing I love about him is he never sexualizes the female characters. Seriously, yeah. They're, like, they might have love interests. They might be people who are open so to PG, romance. I like, like, I like them. Like, Oh. They never kiss. No. Like, Hail Miyazaki movies are like, what if we literally never kissed, yeah. but instead we respected each other's inherent worth and dignity and potential? I noticed that, yeah. Was, like, like the finale <laughs> I, I of the, the finale of the, like, they're, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Haku? Haku. Yeah, Haku. The Kahaku uh, River? Yeah, the Kahaku River. Haku, uh, she remembers his name and, and him saving it, which is so noble, by the way. Like, this sp- this river spirit saves her as a baby or child. And then, they, like, it's, like, almost, like, reconnecting in, in past lives. Yeah. And and they find each other again. And, he, and Haku kind of remembers her but doesn't know why. And, like, that's the love interest. And then, like, toward the end of the movie, that's what the, the big finale is. It's like, I remember. And then, like, they're falling through the sky guy and then they just like kind of like look at each other super closely but they don't kiss but like exactly. there's that moment of like the staring love. into each yeah. other's eyes yeah exactly like it's it's clearly meant to connote some type of deep connection yeah and and then even uh yubaba's twin sister uh the who they end up calling granny mm-hmm. you know uh, saying like, oh, my spell can only be broken by true love. And like, right. <laughs> it's like, okay, that's kind of corny, but all right. And so like that, that. No, Miyazaki movies are very campy, but in a way that it's, it doesn't come off camp. No way. Like yeah. ultimately his movies come down to like, but what if the power of true love? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't call it campy, but I definitely understand the, what else could you call it? But no, for sure. So yeah, you're right. Campy is not the right word. It's it's a perfect word, but at the same time, like it's not campy, but it totally is campy. 
Fuck you. There's a blurred line we have yet to assess, but that word exists in that dimension <laughs> somehow. And that's this week's nostalgia trip. Somehow perfectly, yet yeah, imperfectly, a world a word that is not camp, but is also campy. That's somewhat how meaningful, but also, you know, somewhat in the in the vein of being very funny and friendly and meaningful, but also maybe not at face value. That word exists in that weird space dimension in some kind of weird time fold. Anywho, thank you for joining us for the Margin Mitch Show featuring CSP. <laughs> thank you all so much. We took you down very fun emotional roads with Hayao Miyazaki's film Spirited Away. We talked to you about how the original American women's suffrages suffragette movement has matched up with today's BLM. Uh, forces, and we also brought to you a very fun depiction of a very candid yet real uh, version of Chester Bennington through Grey Days, his one of his first but also last uh, music projects, as well as talk to you about how El- Linkin Park's music has brought to us uh, very fun memories and different you know moments throughout our lives. It's a pleasure as always. This has been Mitchell Herring, Celine Stanis Pond, and Alex Marchewski. Thank you so much for joining us for the March Mitch Show featuring CSP. Kudos. We're signing off for the night. Point us, don't you?